This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. That means it is the Game Plan Podcast, is the last Game Plan Podcast of the year, of the season. Of course, January 2nd, Carolina in the Orange Bowl at 8 a.m., 8 p.m. against Texas A&M. Before we get started, let me ask you to rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. It makes a difference for us. It helps us out. It helps us get better content, more content to you. And if you have a suggestion or, or whatever, send it to us. We'd like to uh, give the listeners whatever they want uh, within reason when we do these podcasts. If I've got Jason and Greg, that means <laughs> I have reason. <laughs> when I have Jason and Greg, that means I have the game plan. And so, Greg, I'll come to you first. A uh, couple days out from this ball game, earlier in the week, um, and we talked about it on, on the Beat podcast as well, but I, I think it bears repeating. Early in the week, Javante's announcement seemed to have Mac Brown scrambling a little bit. You wrote the article on Monday on Inside Carolina. Um, it's one of those things where it's not unexpected that he opted out, but the timing is, I guess, frustrating for the coaching staff. Right. And I think the, the biggest thing coming out of this is that, that Mac Brown has been around long enough that he understands, you know, down the road, this will pay dividends in recruiting in terms of being like, look, you know, we did everything we could for these guys. Uh, we're telling them thanks for a great year. They helped get us to the Orange Bowl. Uh, they're going to do what's best for them. And as, as he pointed out pretty strongly on Monday, uh, look, every single one of us, uh, whether it be reporters or fans or coaches or, or players, you got to do what's best for you and what's best for your family. Um, and so, as he said, you know, there's a potential for UNC uh, to lose an assistant coach after the season. Happens every year. Not that he's expecting one. Uh, but when coaches leave after the season, people don't, get so worked up about it it's just part of the business well this is kind of the same thing um, I think the issue however is once North Carolina came back to campus you know they had the week off after the Miami game they were able to go home they came back were tested and they told the guys look if you have a decision to make in terms of playing in the, the bowl game uh, deciding to go pro early whatever it may be let us know before we start bowl practice just so we know what we're working with as we prepare for Texas A&M. Um, and so De'Ami Brown, Chad Surratt, Michael Carter all did that. Uh, and Javante Williams uh, had not made a decision at that point. So what happens is all of last week, while North Carolina is beginning preparation for A&M, they're operating under the assumption that Javante Williams all of a sudden is going to be the feature back for them for at least one game uh, without Michael Carter being available. And so they go through that week of practice and they didn't have practice scheduled on Saturday. 
uh, around lunchtime while they're getting ready to set up for their, their staff meeting, Javante comes in and says, hey, you know, after talking it over with my family, I've decided uh, that I'm going to skip out on the bowl game and go ahead and enter the draft. Uh, and it really mixed up their, their practice schedule plans because they needed an extra day to say, okay, well, what do we have to work with? Because DJ Jones uh, hurt his foot in December. He's out for the bowl game. Uh, he was the, I guess, the fourth leading rusher on the team behind Williams, Carter, and Sam Howe. Uh, and then you've got the situation uh, where one of the other freshman backs was in a, um, I guess it was Elijah Green, uh, who, who worked in a uh, running offense in high school. And so he's not uh, up to par yet with what they want out of pass protection. So he's likely not going to see a lot of playing time because of pass protection issues. So you're really down to Josh, Josh Henderson and then British Brooks, who's, who's the walk-on from, from Ashbrook, Gastonia representing. Uh, and that, that's really what you're left with. And then you add in the fact that British Brooks is – uh, the special teams captain, Josh Henderson, plays a lot of snaps on special teams. So you're having to balance special teams concerns. So just Javante making the decision a week late really kind of throws all this, this game plan action up in the air. And North Carolina ultimately was left with three days to figure out a game plan for, for A&M without Javante in the backfield. Jason, I want to get into that portion, and we will, but I want to ask you your perspective. Uh, Mac did say it hurts us on Saturday. It's better for us in the long run. Um, getting guys drafted high in the NFL, far, far more uh, important than winning a, a bowl game. National championship, different story. Bowl game. I would think that these four guys, um, what they do in April, assuming the draft's in April, has much more positive effect than anything that happens Saturday against Texas A&M. Am I right or am I wrong? I think you're mostly right. Um, I think bowl games do matter in terms of optics. I mean, the weird thing about bowl games is that they're, they're aside from the playoff, especially now, I mean, bowl games have always been something of a, of an exhibition. Uh, but even, but it's all the more now, in the playoff year that if you're not in the playoff, it's, you know, it's the post season, right? It's after the season, but at the same point, it's also the last thing that you've done. Right. And then there's a long, that's the thing about college football is that the off season is longer than the season. And so the last thing everybody remembers for months is what a team did in their bowl game. And that's one of the things that, that launches hype and all sorts of things. Every offseason, you're going to see teams get overranked and overrated because of what they did in the prior bowl. Because that's the last taste that everybody had in their mouth. So bowl games are not unimportant for that reason because they build the, the buzz for your program. But when it comes to recruiting and being able to pitch to a, to, to a young man and his parents in a living room and say, hey, you really, you, you ought to come to our, you, you ought to really closely consider coming to our university. Not only are we one of the top public institutions in, in, in the country, really in the world, but uh, and not only do we have a, a great living environment and, and, a, and a wonderful campus and all, all these other things, but we put guys into, into the pros consistently at your position look, here's the last couple guys that were, that were, that does, <laughs> that does go a long way in recruiting. When you say, 
you're going to be ready for a career in something other than sports. And we're going to give you the best possible shot to have a career in, in sports. So yeah, that's more important, I think. But I think what Mac was referring to is less about Javante getting drafted and drafted highly versus the bowl and more about, well, you know, it's harder for us on Saturday because obviously we'd be better with him, right? With full strength, North Carolina is a lot better football team than they are without the guys that have opted out. But guess what? Next year, those guys aren't going to be there. And so now they get a chance to play against a really good football team without those guys, with the guys that are going to have to play in those spots next year. Guys that haven't played a whole lot. I mean, you think about the guys that have opted out. Chaz Surratt, how much has, how much of those linebackers been on the field? How much of Surratt and Gemmel, those guys have been on the field 95% of the snaps in, in, in this season. So now you're going to have to replace him next year with a guy who hasn't played that much. Well, now he's going to have one solid game of starting experience under his belt against a really good team. Same thing with Carter and Williams. They had a, a historic season for a duo in the backfield. Well, the thing about that is when you have two guys that have that kind of season, you know what that says about number three? He didn't play. He didn't play. He didn't play much. <laughs> and so, I mean, you, you think about it. Against Miami, they, put, they set an NCAA record. I'm going to say that again. Against Miami, they set an NCAA record for rushing by a duo, by two running backs, by two teammates. But how many, did, how many, did, how many rushing yards did the number three back have? Crickets. A yeah. few. <laughs> yeah, just a few, but not many. And, that, and, and that's partly because those guys played the whole game. And so now... You get, to, you get a chance to see what the future is. You get a chance as coaches to go, okay, what do we have here? What, what, are, we, what, are, we, what are we planning with in the offseason? And that guy gets a chance to see, okay, this is what I need to improve on. This is what I'm, this is what I, I'm getting better at. And also, you know, here's getting thrown into the fire, actually having to do those things and, and learning on the fly. Now that guy is actually, he's going to be a returning starter couple of those guys that, that haven't had carries all year are going to have to play like they're splitting carries, like they're, retur- like they're the starters against a good team. And, and whatever mistakes they make in the bowl game, yep, that's going to that's gonna be worse. But whatever mistakes get made in the bowl game are mistakes that aren't going to be as likely to be made next year. So I think that's what Brown's really referring to more than anything. And I think he's right about that. Greg, you can't get the experience that these guys are going to get on Saturday any other way. Right, Carolina. Oh, goes, Carolina, my bad. Carolina goes into 2021 as the year that everybody's looked at, and with a full team. And I guess I'm trying to find the the, the silver lining of this. The full team plays against Texas A&M, where all those guys are gone next season. And while 2021's the year that everybody's pointing to, there's a ton of question marks. That there may be few fewer question marks after Saturday. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the great uh, dynamics of this matchup because if you look at Texas A&M, it appears they're not going to have any opt-outs. And granted, part of that's because while they have a lot of talented players, nobody's really projecting as a, as a first-day draft pick. Um, but you also have a lot of veterans on that team and in the, the depth chart, a lot of senior guys. And so they're wanting to make a statement that, hey, 
uh, we were left out of the playoff. We don't agree with that. We want to close the season strong. Whereas I really do think now, Mac Brown, probably even before the Javante news, is really saying, look, guys, we knew Chaz wasn't coming back. We, he's not playing Saturday night. Uh, Michael, Diami, Javante, those guys are gone. You take them away from the conversation, I mean, you're really left with, like, Tamon Fox, um, and I guess Garrett Walston. And those are really about it in terms of guys that aren't going to be on the team next year. And so you're pretty much what, – what you have on Saturday night is what you're going to be playing with next year. And so while Texas A&M is kind of closing the book on, on a very good team, North Carolina is setting the table for a very good run next year. Um, and, yes, I mean, tailback situation is, is a serious problem. Um, and maybe they'll address that in the transfer market next year. Maybe one of these young guys will really explode in the spring. That, that's yet to be determined. But everything else is in place. And so this is really a springboard opportunity for North Carolina to be like, look, we, we know we have some very good guys not playing in this game. But we're using this as a platform to say, look, we're going to be a legitimate top 10, top 15, top 20 type team in 2021. This is what we're bringing to the table. We're only going to be better. And so that's an opportunity for them. And the way that the, the programs are kind of looking at this game, I think is very fascinating. So, Jason, looking at this, and then after the break, we'll get into what Carolina needs to do to, to win this ball game. I sort of picture this going two ways, one of two ways. And it certainly sounds like Texas A&M is focused. I watched some of their stuff earlier in the week, and they say all the right things. And Jimbo Fisher's pissed, rightfully so, but it worked out well for North Carolina, at least to get to the Orange Bowl. But Carolina got left out Max last year when Mac opted out to go to Texas. Carolina got left out and they thumped Virginia Tech. I still remember the Virginia Tech quarterback getting bent in two, almost killed, saying, yeah, they weren't the best defense we saw all year. Carolina won 42-3. And then I see, I believe, Georgia and some other SEC teams. I think Georgia played Utah one year after they didn't get um, a higher bowl and they lost, um, and, and some other of those type things. What do you think the mindset is of a team like Texas A&M? Because, you know, Florida State's been in those positions before where they didn't get the ultimate carrot. Um, and you know Jimbo Fisher. I mean, is it all talk? Or are they going to be um, 100% focused? Because from a human being standpoint, I find it hard to believe that there's not still lingering disappointment. I guess my question is, how does it translate on the field Saturday? Yeah, it can translate a couple different ways, and it's, it's almost impossible to project which way it's going to work unless you know the team really well. You know, you got to know the, the, the leadership on the team. I mean, that disappointment is absolutely still going to be there. But you can channel that a couple different ways. One is that you can basically just be like, ah, screw this and, you know, take your ball and go home kind of attitude, like, you know, whatever. Or, or the alternative is that you can take that disappointment and, you know, you can, you can, you can take it the direction that imagine this had happened to Michael Jordan, right? You know, and I took that very personally, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, anything that Jordan's going to do, I'm going to take that very personally, he says, right? That's, that's, that's how that's going to work. He's got, 
I took that very personally. Well, some teams do take it that way. And then, and that team that got left out, that Mac Brown UNC team took it personally. They're not, they don't want us in the, in there because we're not, we're not this brand or we're not that brand. We're every bit as good as them. And we need to go and show, we need to go and show the world that we belong. That's one way of doing it. And some teams, that's going to be the way that they're going to process it is, you know what? Screw you all. I'm going to show you all that why we belonged. Other teams, ah, whatever, you know, we're going to, we're going to Miami. It's nicer weather than College Station. There's some action going on in, 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 you know, in, in, uh, in all of this. I mean, the thing, the thing about the way that COVID preparations are affecting this is that you're not spending as much time on bowl site, right? So, I mean, I think that's a factor here. I mean, normally the teams that, uh, that, that fail to demonstrate that they belonged – those guys get to the bowl sites or whatever, and they enjoy the town. They enjoy the opportunity to, you know, go and see the, see, see the nightlife a little bit and, uh, you know, go to the beach and these sorts of things a little bit and, and get a chance to look around a little bit more than say the teams that are locked in. Uh, so that, that aspect of distraction with a disappointed team, really that, that part probably tips the balance a little bit this year towards a team being less likely to be affected by that. Um, and knowing Jimbo Fisher, he's going to tend toward the, I took that very personally side on pretty much everything in his life. <laughs> That's just how he processes stuff. The question is whether he's going to have his team match that same level of feeling disrespected and channeling it. I'm inclined to think that this is going to be a motivated Texas A&M team that they're not going to be walking out there just like well I mean it's not a playoff so let's just do our thing and the reason that I'm going to default to that is because we haven't seen opt-outs the fact that we haven't seen opt-outs tells me that yeah you're right that they don't have guys projected as first day picks and all that but that doesn't mean that they're not you know going to be drafted that doesn't mean that they're not you know that they that they couldn't go and so you know, I look at that and I see guys that are deciding to stick around for one more game and they're going, you know what? I want to leave my mark. That's, that's what I see with that. And so if that's the case with the senior leadership, odds are that's probably where the team's going to be. So I don't think North Carolina at any, in any way can expect a Texas A&M team that's going to be like the, the Alabama team that lost to Utah, the Georgia team that lost that you mentioned. I think those teams also, by the way, uh, oftentimes the, well, they weren't interested excuse is just that it's a post post hoc excuse. I think sometimes those teams were left out because they weren't as good and that they had flaws and those flaws get exposed in the bowl games, sometimes by teams that are hungry and actually have spent their time to, to expose those flaws. This, this, this A&M team, I think is going to be motivated. They do have some flaws but they're going to be motivated, and I don't think there's, uh, they're, they're likely to, be, uh, to go out there and, and fold. Let's talk about it after the break. But first, I want to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Great sponsors of this podcast and friends of Inside Carolina. The best, 100%. They have uh, 
been great friends of us. They've been great friends with Insight Carolina's premium subscribers. You get that 10% off, but you get the great customer service for free. I mean, they're just nice folks. They're alumni owned and operated. And even though Christmas holiday is past, you still need to get your gear from Johnny T-shirt. And they're certainly still having sales every day and still supporting the university um, and supporting the fan base with all the, the swag you can get from Johnny T-shirt and the cold weather gear. You got to get it. Take another short break. Let national guys pay the bills. We'll be back. Game plan. Jason, Greg, and myself. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, we're back. It's the Inside Carolina Game Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. Greg, I'll come to you. We sort of got into it just a little bit right before the break, the motivation for Texas A&M. I'm looking at their roster and they're loaded with some seniors and Kellen Mond and then the linebacker. Uh, but I see an interesting stat on their, their sheet. It says to date, 86% of the Aggies rushing yards and 92% of their receiving yards comes from freshmen and sophomores. That's pretty much the exact opposite from North Carolina. Um, and those guys will be playing. So let's talk about Jay Bateman's defense first. I said at the top, maybe off the air, I thought Chaz Surratt's absence might be bigger than anything on the offensive side. Uh, but Eugene Asante has gotten plenty of discussion over the last few days. Um, is he the guy in the in the crosshairs, you think, or is uh, a guy like Gimmel that's played all year, it's time for him to really step up? Well, certainly in terms of leadership, it's Gimmel. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to they, – they've praised Eugene Asante uh, for over a year now. And it's one of those things where – and Bateman was even asked about it on Monday. But they, they've praised Asante as kind of the, this next in line and kind of the future at that inside linebacker position. And yet, at the same time, we're seeing Chas Surratt and Jeremiah Gimmel playing pretty much all the snaps. And Jay Bateman's answer to that is why those guys are playing so much when you need to build for the future is you know, we just haven't felt comfortable taking those guys off the field. And so we're going to get to see it on Saturday night of, of how far along Asante is. And I really think you know, if you look at what Chaz is, has done so well, I thought they utilized him very well against Notre Dame and against Miami uh, and kind of keeping an eye on, on Ian Book and Derek King. Um, and Kellamond is a dual threat guy. You know, he's not not as squirmy as uh, as Derek King is, but he, he's let's see here. He's got 258 rushing yards, 4.1 yards per carry, uh, 
So when you factor in sacks, he, he's adequate. And so I think that's going to be the challenge is, is how do you defend uh, you, the QB run a little bit in this game? Uh, because Chas Rat kind of has a nose for the ball. And while we've talked a lot about uh, his tackling angles, maybe have not been there, has been a work in progress, he does know how to get there and get there quick. And so I think that's going to be an area where maybe Texas A&M tries to exploit. But to be honest with you, uh, you know, and, and Jason can expand on this, uh, but Texas A&M is stout up front on both sides of the line. And as Mac Brown emphasized on Monday, I mean, not a carbon copy of Notre Dame, uh, but a lot of similarities. And uh, they, you know, they do have some, some more advanced passing uh, scheme elements than Notre Dame did just because they don't rely on two tight ends as much. Um, but how North Carolina handles the line of scrimmage is going to be everything. And if they're in a situation where they can give Gimmel and Asante some, some room to make some plays, I think Asante can do that. It's when you've got offensive linemen getting to the second level, that's when things get very challenging uh, for, for a kid who hasn't played many snaps on this type of stage. Jason, is it Asante that's got to play the game of his life or somebody else? And I agree with Greg that the, front, the trenches in this one are going to decide the game, period. But uh, for Carolina's defense to limit what Mond and Spiller and their passing attack wants to do, who, who's the guy? I think it's got to be the defensive tackles first and foremost. They, they have to be able to, to, to match up, up on the inside and, you know, Mac Brown already said it. Greg said it. My, when I look at this team, when I scout this Texas A&M team coming into this, I see Notre Dame. It's, it's Notre Dame, and as, as Greg mentioned, it's Notre Dame with a bit more advanced passing game. Kellen Mond, you know, he's, he's – you know, Greg, you're saying he's not as twitchy, not as you know, good a runner as, as Derek King. But you know who he reminds me of is Ian Book. He's a lot like Ian Book. Now, Book, I think, is a better player than Mond. Mond is a, a, little, bit, a little bit more hot and cold. Uh, and when you get good Kellen Mond out there, they're really good. But, you know, there are times where he, he runs a little cold and he'll miss some throws and, you know, do some things that sometimes you're, you know. But that's the thing is he's, he's that kind of Ian Book kind of quarterback where – you know, you think you got him in the backfield and then he'll just kind of slip and slide and then take off for eight, nine yards and first down and there you go. And then the next play, you know, slip out a little bit and throw it, you know, on the run to a tight end for another 15 yards. And before long, you know, you're, you're pulling your hair out because that guy's made some second layer plays, that second level plays that, uh, that weren't drawn the way they were drawn up. And you add to that that he's playing, you know, Fisher, one thing about Jimbo Fisher, and this is one of those things that for a long time, I mean, Fisher had what, uh, Jamarcus Russell went number one, Christian Ponder went in the first round, EJ Manuel went in the first round, then Jameis Winston went, in the, went number one. And, you know, for a long time, a lot of, a lot of NFL scouts were basically, they, they loved Fisher's quarterbacks because they knew when they got him on the, on the board, that they, those guys were schooled in all of these NFL passing concepts, could run a full offense. They understood protections. They, you know, these guys are ready to play in the NFL. What they didn't really get, and this is something that, you know, when I was covering uh, Fisher 
on the Florida State side of things, this is one of the things that I tried to explain to people then, is a lot of these pro scouts didn't seem to understand the degree to which Fisher's offense is so – Fisher, the way he calls his offense and the way that he designs his offense for each quarterback, his offense is so quarterback-friendly that he's going to make the quarterback look as good as possible. So what you're seeing from a quarterback in a Fisher offense – you're not going to get better than that in the NFL generally because that guy's maxed. His potential is going to get maxed in that offense. So you're taking a guy like Mond and then you're maxing him in what they, what they ask him to do. Uh, and so what, and what they're asking him to do is, is a lot of the Notre Dame stuff, the same stuff that Ian Book was, at, was asked to do all year for Notre Dame. And that is hand the football off to a pair of really good running backs behind a big and experienced and physical and technically sound offensive line with one of the best tight ends in the country and Jalen uh, Weidermeyer. And then uh, basically roll off of that with some play action to again, Weidermeyer right up the seam has given teams fits uh, and then doing some basic possession type passing with periodically they'll throw that post route over the top when you're stepping forward when you go to quarters they're going to take it it's an alert and bam they'll all of a sudden they've got a deep throw that's just what they do it's just real simple and it all starts for them with Isaiah Spiller and Aeneas Smith if if those guys they're two running backs and especially Spiller if Spiller is able to get his yardage he's able to have any success in the running game, you're not stopping them. Just because everything else sort of works from that off of their play action passing game. And that's just, that's what they are. They are, a, they are, Fisher has zigged where everybody else has zagged in terms of what he's done in, in personnel. He's decided to emphasize staying big and trying to run the football in more traditional ways, just like what Notre Dame has done. And then build off of that with the traditional play action downfield passing game. That's what you got. And so if you can't match up on the interior and you can't stop the run with the, with the tailback, all the other, the, the entire offense is open to them. So it has to start there. And it has, it, 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 if you can't do that, if you can't limit that, then the rest of it's, it, it doesn't matter. So I don't think the, the onus is on Asante here. I think the onus is on the interior defensive line and the ability to hold up on the edges as well, because they'll run those edges a lot. Spiller is a very, very fast running back. And they like, to, they like to start him in, say, the A or B gap and let him cut to the C gap. And then he's off to the races. And so it's the front four, starting from the defensive tackles out, that have to play well for Carolina to have a good shot to win this game. Yeah, Tommy, uh, Ma- Jay Bateman talks quite a bit about it's not so much about yardage anymore. Um, it, it's really about getting off the field. And the way you get off the field is either by forcing turnovers or having creating negative plays. Uh, A&M has allowed four sacks in, in nine games this year. That's not a strength in North Carolina anyway defensively, but you, that right there is an indication that you may not be able to, to get four or five sacks to help you in those situations. So you're going to have to come up with negative play some other, other way. And when you have a quarterback like Mond who can, who can kind of get away and, and pick up something out of nothing, uh, that makes it even more problematic. 
looking at the, they call them the maroon goons, their offensive line. They, they also have allowed 3.78 tackles for loss per game. Uh, so if you're not getting a sack and you're not getting tackles for loss, uh, you need to get something else going on. But that's fifth nationally. And they went, I was looking at this, uh, they went 24 quarters and 201 pass attempts without giving up a sack in the SEC this year. Uh, pretty and, impressive. And, and what they do, I mean, you watch their games, and, and this is one of those things I, I actually kind of got frustrated with some of the commentators at times listening to them break down A&M. and uh, the, the worst of this was if you watch the uh, LSU game and you listen to what they're actually saying, they're talking in that game about, well, you know, yeah, I know A&M beat Florida, but they're just not as impressive as Florida. I mean, look at this game. I mean, they, they haven't really put LSU away. And, you know, they just haven't looked as impressive offensively as what you'd like. And, you know, Florida's offense is really humming. And, you know, Florida should be in contention for the, for the playoff rather than this Texas A&M team over this Texas A&M team. And I'm sitting there listening to this going, okay, excuse, pardon me for this, but <laughs> Texas A&M beat Florida at Florida, <laughs> right? Number one. Number two. They're up 20 to nothing when you're talking about this against, against LSU. And then a week, late, what, a week or two later, uh, LSU goes and they beat Florida as well, <laughs> right? Yep. But here's what it was. And I was listening to, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is he talking about? What it is is A&M's offense isn't exciting to watch as a rule. They go five yards, Six yards, four yards, three yards, and now they're third and two. And guess what? They live in third and two. And then they get the third down. And <laughs> it's not fun to watch that, whereas Florida was putting up big play after big play all the time. But the thing that this A&M team has been able to do has been to live in – good leverage situations to not give up negative plays to constantly play ahead of the sticks. And as a result, be really, really good on third down. They're number two in the nation on third down 56.6%, 56.6%, 0.67% of the time they're getting third down conversions. And the reason for that is they live in third and short. So they're very efficient as an offense. They're just not, exciting because they don't have a bunch of playmakers spiller and and their two tailbacks are really their only playmakers as far as big play guys but because they just don't make a ton of mistakes and they don't wind up giving up negative plays and they play ahead of the sticks by the way alabama is the only team ahead of them that's that 59 percent conversion which is absurd um but <laughs> it's it's the lack of excitement so they don't look as good they're, they're not pretty but they they are they're not the team that you want to meet in the back alley because they will, they will brawl you right, you know, right into the wall. And that's what they do. And so, and unfortunately that, that sort of matches up badly with North Carolina's defense because North Carolina's defense would rather you be a high flying team. That's going to try to challenge a healthier secondary right now than a team that is going to try to challenge what's still a work in progress up front. Very good points. Only mistake you made is is they beat Florida at in Texas oh, Station. At, you're right. Yeah, co at College Station. College Station. Right. Because it was, it was LSU that beat Florida at Florida. Yeah, man, that's led to Mullen whining about crowds and then immediately getting his 
program shut down for a little bit because of COVID. Anyway, let's, <laughs> I'd so, totally forgotten about that. That's good. <laughs> and I should know this and, you know, knowing, you know, I keep an eye to the ground, I, I, I on Florida a little bit. An eye extra, to the ground. There you go. Uh, Greg, so uh, it sounds like this is a shootout if Carolina is going to be in it. Uh, <laughs> you know, the question is, Phil Longo struggled against Notre Dame's defense. Phil Longo and his team struggled. Well, Mike Elko and and Lay for Notre Dame are best of buds. So I can imagine we'll see almost the exact same game plan. They run the, the same system. I, the only deal is I don't know if they have a – and I can't pronounce his name, number six and number nine for Notre Dame. So uh, what's the approach here, Greg, for Longo? Well, I think this is one um, where you've got to figure out a way to establish a run game. Um, North Carolina has allowed 30 sacks. We've talked all year long about the issue for this offensive line, and it's gotten better as the season went along. But the problem has been on obvious passing downs and pass block. Um, and so when you kind of combine all those things, you know, what Notre Dame did so well is they took away the run and get North Carolina behind the chains, and then they just come after Sam Howell. And they were willing to say, we're going to get the Howell and make him throw it before any of those vertical options come up and down the field. And so not only do you not have Diami, who's your primary vertical threat, um, that's a big loss for sure, but I think, I think you can mitigate that a good bit with some of the other guys. I mean, Chaffee Brown may be faster than his brother. Um, you know, it hurts not having Bo Corrales, but I think you've got enough options there where you can be successful in the passing game. Problem is going to be you've, you've got to manufacture a run game somehow. And um, you know, British books has looked good at times, um, but he doesn't play a lot for a reason. And Josh Henderson's kind of the same way. And so I think those guys don't have to have great games by any stretch, but you have to keep a and honest. And when you look at where North Carolina has had so much success, uh, Sam Howe ranks fifth nationally in the percentage of, of dropbacks that are play action. And uh, that's for a reason. And because North Carolina's run game has been so successful, uh, that really helps to kind of keep, keep defenses honest. And, I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, Sam's is going to have to throw it 80% of the time. North Carolina's not winning the game if they do that. And that's not what Phil Longo wants to do anyway. So they, they have to figure out a way. And even, you know, even if you have to throw some screen passes, which I know is not Longo's key thing, but you've got to figure out how to capitalize on that short passing game, which sometimes equates to, to part of the run game, to get some plays for these guys. I mean, you may see some, some sweeps with Davs Newsom, a lot of different things like that to generate some rushing attack. Because if you don't, they're just going to pin their ears back and come after Sam Howe, and that's going to be a long afternoon. And I think if you, you're able to do that and give him some time to throw, he can make plays down the field. We know he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, and has proven that time and time again. But if you don't have a run game to balance out the offense, uh, that, that's really going to be a wing and a prayer. You know, this is one of those we'll look back as what-if games. Uh, just looking at Texas A&M's defense, Jason, they allow 92 yards of rushing a game, a second in the conference, their conference. They've given up, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, only 25 carries of more than 10 yards. That's second in the conference behind Georgia. I mean, I said it off the air, and I'll say it again, and maybe I'm crazy, but 
Carter and Javante Williams would make a huge difference for this offense. But I don't know if that would be the winning difference for Carolina. You know, I, Greg mentioned Sam Howell throwing it 80% of the time, not winning. I'm not so sure that that might not give Carolina the biggest chance and use Walston and Daz Newsom a ton. You know, I can see – I can envision a game plan that has Daz Newsom with 200-plus yards and 10 to 15 catches. Um, I don't envision a run game rushing for 200 yards whether Carter or Javante were out there or not. I don't know. Uh, help me. Help me understand that uh, those two opt-outs are not the death knell for North Carolina's offense. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the biggest thing the biggest thing here, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're the death knell because I think, there, I think there's good talent on the, on the roster at running back behind him. I do. I, I think those guys can, can play. Um, the, the, I think, honestly, this would have been a tough game offensively, even with Carter and Williams. Truth is, because I think that this Texas A&M team is pretty comparable defensively to the Notre Dame team that, that they just, that they had trouble with uh, on offense already. I mean, you look at the SP plus rankings of the two and they're not that far apart. Notre Dame, what ninth in the country defensively and A&M 20th. And when you start looking at, what they bring to the table defensively, there's a lot of similarities in terms of where their, where their weaknesses have been and what they've been able to do. And the first thing that is, is in common about both of them is both teams really good at stopping the run. And if you look at what you look at that, that box score between North Carolina and, uh, and Notre Dame to begin with, you know, going back to the November game, North Carolina had 30 carries for 87 yards. And that's with Carter and, and, and Javante Williams. Yep. So, you know, that's the, the what if is, is, is okay. You know, will, would those guys be, that, be able to find those creases and those seams against a, a, a team that's of comparable quality up front and at linebacker and, and so on this time? Maybe. We don't know. I mean, that's the what if. But I think it'd be tough sledding either way. Because AM is good, experienced, and deep on the defensive line. They've got a, a quality guy who's going to play in the NFL for a couple of years at, at, at the Mike Backer. Uh, they're, they're good up front. They don't give up a ton of yards. I mean, you look, at, you look at them on the season, and it's interesting looking at what they've done on, in the run defense side. Uh, they, they only gave up 109 rushing yards to Alabama. Whew, that's that's strong. Okay, so there have been two teams that have been able to run the football against them. One is Arkansas with the Bryles offense that, they, that they're running there, which is pretty different from what North Carolina is doing. But uh, you, can, you can steal some of the stuff that they did for sure. And that's something that if I'm Mac Brown, if I'm, if I'm Phil Longo, I'm looking very closely at that Arkansas game, and I'm looking very closely at the Auburn game because Auburn put up 196 yards on them. And, and that, that – those are the two games where they gave up rushing yards. 222 to, to Arkansas, 5.2 yards for 5.29 yards per carry and 196 on 6 yards, 6.5 yards per carry against Auburn. The thing is they won both of those games. But those are the games that I'm looking at to try to find, you know, okay, is there something that they did 
especially since both those teams like to go fast. They like to run out of the, out of the spread. Is there something that they did that we can, we can latch on to with our personnel to see if we can get a few plays. But the big thing is they've given up some passing yardage on the year. And that's really, if they've got a soft spot on the, on the defense, you know, they're, they're giving up, they're giving up some passing, passing plays. And they, if you watch their games, they've been, they've given up some plays where team teams have gotten behind them. Their secondary is really their weak spot. So the trick is that you don't want to get into, and I think Greg's right. You can't throw 80% of the time and expect to win this game, but you can throw say 65, maybe even 70% of the time. You can go 65% of the time and you got to pick your shot and pick your spots to take some shots. This is a game where Chaffrey Brown, where some of those guys that can really run, you've got to get them isolated on the right guy and let them go. And I think there are a couple, there, there are some situations where you're going to be able to run by those guys. And again, very similar to Notre Dame early on, get a post route, get it, get it, get a little stutter go or in early going and get an early lead based on running by them is, is one of your best bets in this game. And I think that's something that early on, they're going to have to come in and they're going to have to decide which guy they feel like they can get the best matchup on and see if Howell can get a couple deep shots that change the game early on. And that's really your best bet. If you're North Carolina, I think you're coming into this feeling like if we can get a couple big plays in the passing game early, get a good start and put them in a position where, yeah, they're going to have to be coming from behind. Now they're not going to, they're not going to lose patience. They are what they are offensively. They're going to keep pounding the ball but that allows the defense and also your own offense to play with a different kind of game leverage for the rest of the game. than if you come out and you try to run the football, you go a couple three and outs early on and you, you all of a sudden are down, you know, 10 to nothing, you know, in the middle of the second quarter and you're playing their kind of game. So I think that's what you've got to do. You've got to find a couple of those mismatches for some play action shots where you feel like your guy can run away from them because I think they've got some, some weakness in the back seven or in the – actually, really, it's the back four that, uh, that you can run by a couple of their guys. And they do expect to get Miles Jones back, who was their, their top cornerback. He was that out. That does hurt. <laughs> he was out against <laughs> he Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. It looks like they give up 280 um, passing, and they've given up some touchdowns in the passing game. I think Howell has to have a huge game. Um, But the one thing, Greg, and I want to get to the prediction portion, the the one thing, and this goes back to the running backs and missing Carter and Williams, is what is the most important thing that Henderson or Brooks or or Elijah Green do in this game? Is it gain yards? Is it secure the football, protect the football? Is it blitz pickup? Is it catch the ball out of the backfield? I mean, what are you looking for from these guys? for Carolina's offense to have some success. Yeah, I think Jason's exactly right in that you know, Mac Brown has a good eye for talent. And so it's not a situation where you have two really good running backs in Carter and Williams and there's nobody left in the cupboard. Um, with the ball in their hands, they know what to do. And the little bit that we've seen them, they can run the ball. But what you have to do at this level and in this offense, to your point, You've got to take care of the football. All right. Carter and Williams, I mean, how many fumbles have they lost this year? Zip. Zip. And then there's the pass blocking aspect. And I know a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, you know, the way that you, you stop A&M's pass rush is you max, max protect. 
and you keep Walston at home and you keep the running back at home. Okay, as long as the running back knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Um, and that's one of, the, you know, one of the things with Elijah Green, with him not having experience in pass protection, it doesn't sound like he's going to play a whole lot. He may be the third option. Um, and so they're really that, – that's where it's important. And you, if, if we come out of this game and, and we're talking about you know, one of those running backs coughing up the ball or you getting blown up trying to block for Sam, that, that's where the problems are. I mean, if, if, they, if they get the ball and are able to run and have some success, that's good. But that's not the key part for them. I, I think as long as there are some holes there, they'll be able to pick up some yardage. But they, they can't hurt the team. And that's the key part for those guys. And they run some exotic blitzes. And uh, they, they, they've – this is now, I think, what, year three under Elko there? And they really understand how to run some of the stuff that he really likes to get pressure. Uh, they've got some, like, double-A type blitzes where you're bringing a backer into the A-gap and then you actually have a second backer who will delay just slightly or a safety a lot of times. It'll be a backer that, that hits the A-gap. He has to get picked up. And then they'll have a safety, say, come down from the boundary side and hit the same a gap, and you you have to really understand how to pick that blitz up, or that guy's coming free, and it's designed to hit free. And they, they've they've had success with that kind of thing all year, and so that's going to be a big part. The other thing also that I think is really important for these young backs that I think might be the biggest drop off is the impact of Carter and Williams as pass catchers, because mm-hmm. you know, they were they were really really good. In the, in the passing game as receivers this year. And, I mean, that was a big part of North Carolina's attack in, in giving Sam Howell easy outlets to backs who just got free yards over and over and over again because those guys didn't drop balls. And they got open. They were consistently in the right spot. They were not covered by – those guys didn't get covered by a linebacker all year. 50 catches between the two of them. Yeah, and what, like three drops? Probably. Yeah, I mean, so you're looking at at a level of success out of the backfield with those players that I think is a that's something you you can't uh, you can't overlook as well, and that's something that the young that the young backs are going to have to do in Longo's offense, and and one of the best things that they can do to deal with some of those blitz looks is to have some outlets to the backs. Don't don't involve the back in pass protection. Just release him, and if the backer comes, get it out there. You know, these sorts of things, those are some of the things that you can do to help your young backs sometimes. And I expect to see a little bit of that from, uh, from, uh, from Longo and, and the offense is trying to use them in the passing game. But again, they're inexperienced. They don't have a ton of experience running routes and making sure they're making the right read in the passing game there. So those are some of the little things that they're going to have to, to get right to, to be able to be as successful on the, uh, on the offensive side as, as they were with the other, with the other two, with the, the two that have been elite all year. I'm looking at it here, by the way, uh, four total drops between Williams and, and Carter on the season, 50 catches and four drops. Pretty good. Yikes. That's pretty good. Uh, so let's do the predictions, Jason, since you're on it, let's go. Would you first predict it? What happens on Saturday night? Well, un- unfortunately, I, I, I think the opt outs really hurt the, the chance to, make this as competitive a game as it should be. Um, another opt-out we haven't really talked about is Deami Brown. I mean, I think that is a major factor in this game because you think about all the big games that Carolina has played the last two years, 
where how many of them has Brown had at least one, if not two or three deep routes that have changed those games? Yeah, all of them. He's, he's had 14 pass plays of 25 yards or more this season. And, and if you look at who those plays are against, he had one early against my – and when those plays are. It's, so for Deami Brown, it's not just about the fact that he has those plays. It's, it's against whom and when. You look at that early Miami game, setting the tone in that game. He ran right by Miami's corner for a 50-yarder early in that game that completely set the tone for, uh, uh, for that game and in, in saying, okay, you better be able to cover this guy. You better have that guy over the top, which means we're going to be able to run right up that seam. Clemson last year. Miami wow. last year. Yeah. Clemson I mean, last year. Over I mean, and how, over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over and over and over again, and against guys that are going to be playing in the NFL, or some guys, you know, the guy he ran right by against Clemson last year is playing in the NFL right now, AJ Terrell. Yep. So that's a big loss too, and that's one that we didn't talk about really up to now. And so I think the uh, the opt outs really hurt in this game. Uh, and the biggest problem I think is I, I I see this as kind of a repeat of the Notre Dame game, only North Carolina is playing shorthanded comparatively. And I think, uh, you know, AM might not be quite as good as that Notre Dame team, but they're awfully close. And so ultimately, I think this, this game winds up being sort of a mirror image of that. I'm going to go with, uh, with, uh, with Texas A&M 38, North Carolina 13. Greg? Yeah, when you, when you think about Sam Howell not having Diami and needing to carry the team, which he's done a lot, but how many times, I mean, has he had monster games in North Carolina? Uh, you know, really not – really have to kind of struggle to, to be in the game um, when, you, when you take away the, the run game. I mean, look at what Virginia did. I mean, Sam set all kinds of records in that game. Uh, and because Virginia shut down the run game, it wasn't enough. And you add to that the fact that A&M has allowed 11 pass plays of 30 yards or more. Um, I think North Carolina is going to have to have to hit on some big plays to have a chance in this game. I don't know how that's really going to happen. Uh, and I, I think for North Carolina to win, they're going to have to win the turnover battle. And that's something that they just have not done all season long. Uh, and so those are a couple of things that would give North Carolina an opportunity. But I agree with Jason. I think it's, it's very similar to what happened against Notre Dame. I do think Carolina will have a little bit more success. I think they'll learn from that second half against Notre Dame when they were completely shut down offensively. Uh, but I've got A&M winning this one 35-21. And actually, I'm, I was thinking while you were, while you were doing that, I'm going to amend my North Carolina score. I do think 13 is too low. So I'm going to go 38-24 because I do think – I think you're right. I, I was thinking through the, uh, the, the, a couple of the big plays that Texas A&M has given up. I think they'll get a couple of them. So I'm going to go with that. Yep. They got to steal a couple of touchdowns and, and win the turnover battle. It, you win the turnover battle, then it's, you know, I'm not prepared to make a pick yet. I have to wait till I get down to Miami to see if my mood changes. I tend to agree with you guys um, at the moment that could change once South Beach comes into view. Um, but it's always been fun. Look, we've had a lot of fun doing these game plan podcasts over the past years, but especially this year. Like like you said, Jason, 
it's always more fun when they win. <laughs> and it's been a pretty so much more fun. <laughs> it's been a been a pretty special year in that regard. Carolina in the Orange Bowl Saturday night, eight o'clock. Texas A&M, five versus 13. Greg Barnes will be down there covering it. I'll be down there watching it. Jason Staples will be chasing youngins. <laughs> uh, guys, it's always been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.